You are listening to episode 297 of the At Percussion podcast. I am your host, Ksenia Komlenovic, and as always, I'm here with my beautiful people, Carly Vina. Uh, hey, Ksenia, how's it going? Going well, Carly, how are you? Good, 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 good. Good, enjoying that new gig? Yeah, yeah, made it through. Everybody survived the first week of classes. It's a good thing. There was some chaos, but in the best way. It's just the rite of passage. I'm sure you handled it beautifully. <laughs> well, good, good. Happy beginnings. Um, and we have our wonderful, wonderful Ben Charles. Hey, Ksenia, how are you? Hey, I'm still all right as of uh, 10 seconds ago. And you, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> Doing well. <laughs> yeah, we're, we just finished our second week, so things are trucking along here. You're ahead, always been an overachiever. Always trying to be <laughs> I try. Just a week ahead, man. <laughs> Casey will be joining us a little bit later in the episode and you'll get to hear his voice too. Um, so we will be releasing this episode on September 16 and here is what happened in music history. So in 1887, the birth of French music composition teacher, mentor par excellence, Nadia Boulanger in Paris. I don't know if you knew, but I did not. Uh, she was born to a French composer father and a Russian princess mother. So. That's fancy. Um, you already know that she's been a, or she was a teacher to great American composers such as Elliot Carter, Aaron Copland, Virgil Thompson, and then also Piazzolla and Glass and Quincy Jones. And she was the first woman to conduct many, many major orchestras in America and Europe, including the BBC Symphony and Boston Symphony in Philadelphia. Uh, I did quite a lot of digging about her, a very interesting life, her and her sister. So, um, but there was a quote that I really liked um, that came from her, and it said that she insisted on complete attention at all times. She said, anyone who acts without paying attention to what they are doing are wasting their life. I'd go so far as to say that life is denied about lack of attention, whether it be to cleaning windows or trying to write a masterpiece. So. There you go. Some wisdom from Nadia Boulanger. And then we had uh, 1976, the birth of Elena Garancha, a Latvian operatic mezzo-soprano from Riga. Happy birthday, Elena. And 1977, uh, opera diva Maria Callas uh, died of a heart attack in Paris at age of 53. <laughs> in 2006, a little bit of ageism protruding its ugly head, saying that uh, finally, a 65-year-old Bob Dylan uh, became the oldest person to top a Billboard's album charts when Modern Times goes to number one. So, Carly, go ahead. Yeah, I like I like what you're saying about Nadia Boulanger, and I think it's interesting because most, like, we all know her name. We learned about her in music history courses and everything, but we always think about her as we learn about like her connections to other composers, and she, she like she influenced Copland. She influenced, you know, um, and it's cool to hear a little bit more about her life and I encourage our listeners to to maybe read up on her because she must have been a hugely interesting figure um, and then the other thing I thought of you said she demanded attention and probably these computers we have in our pockets all the time might have driven her crazy in lessons and rehearsals and all that so <laughs> there you go I wonder what she would think True, true. She was quite an opinionated lady. I, I like that and definitely worth uh, looking up. But, you know, anyway, I've been thinking about all of this and I just wanted to throw in a question out there, um, thinking about this, you know, billboard chart and these vocalists born dying, so on. Does anyone know what is the best selling album in classical music in this century or who whose album it is or who sold most albums in total of classical musicians? Because we constantly talk about success, success, success. You know. I, I know that, that Schulte is the most Grammy award-winning conductor, so I would assume him, but I could be wrong. Here's, the, here's my guess. Um, some of the Beethoven symphony recordings with Zell. That's, those are really good, educated kind of guesses. But no, has anyone heard of Catherine Jenkins? No. I don't think so. I, I love this. I, I saw this on Classic FM and I was like, who are these top 10? I've only heard of like Bocelli, um, a, a operatic pop singer. Um, and she sold most albums in um, the 21st century 
So um, I think that was, let me say, the number is 2.6 million. But just for reference, BTS sold 3 million albums in the first week of their latest release. So um, it's a little bit, it's, it's like really, really interesting. I like these things to put things into perspective. Not that sales or money uh, equal value or human value, or they're not also, you know, the opposite end of it. Um, but Kenny G says currently, you know, you're probably close. It would also, that was my unofficial guess. Yeah. It, it does make me wonder, like, like if obviously no one at home can see, but I put in the chat, does Josh Groban count? But it's like, he is sort of a, classical singer but obviously he's more of like a pop singer using a or is he a classical singer using a pop style or pop singer using a classical you know but yeah so i don't know it's like it's kind of hard to draw the line in the sand i think in this case on like what the best-selling classical album would would be but yeah interesting yeah, yeah, it is. Well, most of them happen to be uh, singers. So, you know, here we are a bunch of nerdy percussionists and we know that we're the coolest, but, you know, go check those out. Who knows, maybe it tells you something about what's, the market. <laughs> what's the best-selling percussion album of all time, I wonder? I would love to know that. I mean, it, it has to It has to be Evelyn Glennie. I'm sure like her greatest hits are song. I mean, there's, yeah, yeah. there's no one else I would think that could, that could top Evelyn Glennie. Well, probably, yeah, at least. And the woman has played circles around everyone and for decades longer than most people. So yeah, um, that would probably make sense. But anyway, there you go. You know, check, check that out. Yeah, go look up uh, Catherine Jenkins. Not that she needs any more attention. Let's move on to our guest. Our guest for today uh, calls in from Switzerland, or at least comes from there. He doesn't travel a lot, so it's a little bit difficult to keep track of where he is. And you must have seen him around, at least on the internet, especially if you ever happen to check out the really popular YouTube videos on the topic of percussion. He's a soloist um, and a chamber musician, a member of Trio Colores, and the creator of Opportunities for Others, since he founded his own concert series titled Marimba Recital Concerts. He frequently takes part in world premieres by renowned composers, including Sejourné's Double Concerto for Vibraphone, Marimba, and Wind Orchestra in 2016, and the Percussion Concerto Tongues of Fire by Hatzis in 2017. In the future, we will have the opportunity to see his work with Dorman and Psatas come to life, we hope. We're excited about that. There's a lot of exciting stuff there going on for such a young person. But everyone, please welcome Fabian Ziegler to the show. Hello, Fabian. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. It's great to have you. Tell us, how are you doing today? And what did you do yesterday? You you went on stage? I'm good. Actually, uh, yesterday I had quite a free day because I was traveling back from the Gstaad Festival where we played with the City Light Orchestra. It's a film music orchestra from Switzerland. Uh, so now I'm back home since yesterday and I'm doing good. Uh, concerts are starting little by little again and uh, yeah we can enjoy the stage again and I'm really happy about this. That's awesome. So the topic of our show is starting your chamber group and you have this wonderful young successful ensemble Trio Colores and I'd love for you to tell us about how you founded the ensemble and uh, how it's transformed over the years. It was actually quite interesting story because we, when we started, we wanted to do a marimba quartet. So we actually founded the marimba quartet. Um, and then we ended up after the first concert, one of our colleagues, he just uh, stopped his studies. He stopped to play music. So yeah, after the first concert, we had the situation that we were like, okay, we wanted to do a marimba quartet, but now we're just three of us. Um, so actually, after some months, we decided to continue as a trio, and yeah, then we just slowly started like to play small gigs uh, and then to build our repertoire, to think about programs. Um, yeah, this is how it all began. Um, I, I love how you've managed to reframe something that was a, a dream, a quartet, and then it turned into a trio night, but anyone's ill will or anything it just happened to be so but you took the opportunity and you proceeded with it and now your trio is definitely like one of the first ones that especially young people think of when they think of chamber music and percussion which is amazing so um since we're going to be talking about you know starting your own chamber group we need to define what is a successful chamber group 
So what to you is, is success in those terms? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's in general a very interesting question. What is success? And I was working myself um, on finding the answer. And, and for me, actually, the answer is really that, that we can just enjoy what we do and that we can just be on stage. Uh, I guess this was one of the worst things what we had when we had the lockdowns and everything in the COVID times that we just were sitting at home. Of course, we were still continuing to work, but we couldn't really be on, on stage. And I think really it, it's nice to play in big concert halls. It's nice to have um, to have great success, whatever it means. But I mean, to have the three of us on stage, having fun together and doing what we love. This is for me what, what I think is success for, for myself. Fabian, when I think about what might make a, a chamber group especially successful, I think about kind of the chemistry and the personalities of the people, um, at least, you know, personally successful. What do you think about, how, how do you find your people? How do you find the people that you want to play with and can live with and grow with musically for, you know, hopefully an extended period of time? I guess, actually, this is one of the most important and one of the hardest things to find those kind of people where you feel you feel perfect on stage. Um, I've, I had some experience before, like, of course, in, in, in university, I played a lot of chamber music uh, with different people, with different students. Um, and in the end, I just feel that the chemistry on stage is so important, even the three of us, if we have some discussions going on of, or we if we have maybe a moment where we have some um, some some issues what we need to solve like the three of us I think you you can just see it on stage um, that the audience can feel it we can feel it um, so I think it's one of the most important things if you to start a chamber group to really find the people which are fitting to each other um, and it's a nice thing in university because you can really start uh, to play chamber music. You can try it with different people. You can see who is fitting to whom. Um, so I think this is a quite interesting but super important topic for, for um, starting a chamber group. With all of these successful chamber groups, one, one topic I think that comes up is identity. Uh, and you kind of talked about it's a collaboration between the players and you have probably similar viewpoints on music and playing styles, maybe some differences to make it interesting. But uh, and one thing that comes up with this is repertoire selection. And one of my favorite stories is I think it was Black Earth Percussion Group uh, had this system where on any concert, everyone could choose a piece uh, that they wanted, but everything else had to be a majority vote. So basically, you got veto power, you know, except for everyone could select one piece. What's been your approach to selecting repertoire? We always tried to make nice programs, but the, the thing like for percussion trio, what we realized in the very beginning was that, of course, there are pieces like Trio Peruno or Musique de Table or Oko by Xenakis. But uh, I was talking already with Xenia about this before. Um, after those pieces, of course, there are new pieces what you can commission, but there is not so much left what you can really see like those are the big pieces for a percussion trio. So what we tried also to start is with the classical uh, arrangements, which we are extremely lucky to have one of our members which is doing extremely good uh, arrangements. And we were just thinking in this way that we wanted to give the people not a percussion show, but we wanted the people maybe to go out of a concert of, uh, of us thinking the same kind of things, what they would maybe think from a piano recital or a, or string quartet recital. Um, so that, yeah, that choosing the repertoire was a quite big thing for us and is always a, a quite big thing for us. We always try to also find new things, what we can arrange or to commission new pieces. Um, and in choosing the repertoire, I think it's always important that you can, you can also tell somehow a story or you can, I mean, you can 
take whatever pieces you want. You can find a, a theme where you can put them somehow. Uh, but what is the very interesting thing is really to find find a way to make make a story um, what you can tell to the people. Now, for us, it's really important that we really can can tell a story to the people when we're on stage, like that we have programs which are uh, which are letting us to to tell a story. And what is really important in choosing the classical arrangements is also that we try so many different pieces, different composers um, to finally find the pieces which are working for our instruments, because I think this is the the most important thing if we do an arrangement, what uh, Luca, our member is doing, uh, it needs to work on our instruments. We have a lot of possibilities for sure, but for example, it's hard to, to have a orchestral piece, except of like we, we, had, we had now Dos Macabre from, from Camille Saint-Saëns, which is working super good. And it was a little bit surprising because the rest of our program, what we are having right now, what we're working on, uh, French program, is mainly from piano um, repertoire, because the because the, the system is quite equal from the piano to our instruments. Like we also cannot really create. Well, we can create the sound, but we cannot really, you know, make uh, vibratos like a violin or really try to to form a note when we're playing it we we just have this one moment where we create the sound and then of course we can roll it but it's never the same as the string player with his bow for example so this is a very big issue for us what we want to solve always and what we're uh, also why we are taking a lot of time to choose our repertoire have you found any examples that that you couldn't find a solution to or that didn't work? Well, we are right now thinking about our next program because we kind of uh, finished this French program. We Now we try to, to perform it. So we started to check a lot of Russian music and then we just saw, okay, let's try Rachmaninoff is great music. But then we just had found this thing that Ahmad was, was such a good pianist and he wrote so pianistically that it's extremely hard to, uh, to arrange it for our instruments because he was using the sound of the piano a lot. He was using actually crazy a lot of basses from the piano, what we just unfortunately are not having. Um, yeah, for me, like a lot of the time, people will take a like a movement of a Beethoven piano sonata and try and do it on two marimbas, and it's like, it should work like range wise, but it just for some reason it sounds really you know, twinky to me. It just doesn't doesn't sound like a piano. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think also like the if you have an orchestra piece in the orchestra, you are having so many colors. Of course, we can also create a lot of colors, but but you will never find those kind of colors what you're having in the in the orchestra because you have wood players string players percussion brass players um so i think this is also why we started to really take a look at the piano repertoire but yeah even there we have so some what you're composers. saying is like should people should people attempt right of spring on marimba or probably not <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna answer this question here <laughs> Oh, Ben. No. <laughs> so that's, that's a firm You no. are. I'm going to put a huge sticker on your head for this episode, Ben. And every time you speak, it's just going to squeak. There's nothing going to come out. <laughs> that's a firm no from Switzerland on Right of Spring on Rumbo. Okay, got it. <laughs> Switzerland gave Serbia zero points. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Fabian, uh, speaking about repertoire, you've done some really interesting arrangements of all our percussion pop hits like Ganaya and some Trevino works, right? And Losa and so on. So what if people of all these things that you've done and you're constantly borrowing and uh, sort of appropriating music for your instrument, what have people responded to the most? What do people think is most interesting? Well, if we check 
the pieces what we recorded on video was mostly uh, catching shadows. Yeah, it's actually what you said, like catching shadows, Losa and Kanaya. Um, I think just also because there are like almost every percussionist uh, knows those pieces. And actually, it's a, the fun fact is we started with those pieces in the very beginning because we just had to start somewhere. And uh, some of the pieces we played with other people in studies or did this and that. Um, so it was kind of the small start. Um, like, for example, Catching Shadows, we played in so many concerts, but just with, with cajon or with percussion in general, because we just thought, okay, I mean, there is sextet, so we can take the marimba parts and, and Matthias can just really work on all the rest of the parts, of the percussion parts. And then finally, when we wanted to, to record some videos, he was like, ah, but you know, actually it would be super interesting to do it with drum set. So that came up for the video because honestly we played it now once in a concert because you just need to have everything uh, mic'd up because you just cannot hear the marimbas anymore if he's playing drum set. So that was kind of really for the video, but of course the other pieces were playing quite often the video with Kanaya was also a little bit an experiment for us because it was a lot of overdubbing. We just we just tried to create something new. And uh, until now, we were always lucky that the composers also liked it very much. Like we also um, we also have even the, the drum scores from Catching Shadows for sale, what we also um, checked everything with, with Ivan Trevino. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just something extremely different to the classical repertoire and it's both having um, the interesting facts. So to sort of wrap up our conversation about repertoire, um, young folks, I think, rarely think about this. Uh, usually what they do is, especially if they're in school, they just get a bunch of pieces at the beginning of the semester or year uh, from their professor. Those are they could be masterworks, they could be just educational, and they say, go learn this, and then maybe you'll have a recital. And they never think themselves, I think, about a topic of a recital or what is it supposed to say. It's just about this, like you're running, running, running to improve. But then I checked out uh, your schedule for the upcoming concerts, and you have some children's concerts, and you're working on concerto repertoire for a trio, and you have your French. Uh, you know, repertoire that you're doing. Why does that matter? Why do you even bother? I mean, when you're explaining this to young people, why why does it matter that you have a theme and how do you choose your themes? Well, I mean, uh, to, to pick up the topic of being in studies, um, just playing what your teacher is telling you, is, uh, is also was quite a big thing for me always because I always tried to to be curious, to check out composers, uh, which are maybe not the world known. Um, and for me, it was always extremely interesting to play something what no one in our school played. You know, I, I didn't play all the big marimba uh, pieces. Yeah, I mean, in our school, like a lot of people are playing. Okay, my teacher told me, I should play uh, Velocities or I should play Merlin now. Um, I, I think it was in 2015 or 16, I went the first time to, to ICMA, uh, to Katashina Michka. And there I met Christos Hatzis. And then from there, I just also checked out his music. I played, um, I think as one of the first ones in Europe also, well, the percussion concerto in the fire of conflict, I recorded it. Um, and that was all, that was just super interesting because you just get another, another amount of attention if you're doing something what no one else is doing. Because I think the, the way to really be exceptional in our big, like big, big, even percussion business, it's just extremely hard if you're playing all the things what everyone else is doing already. So coming back to the topic of the concerts, 
I mean, it's nice to tell a story with the with the program. But the other thing is also, I mean, you always need to think also from the perspective of a, of a concert organizer or uh, or whatever or an orchestra. They always need to sell this concert. I mean, they want to people to come, so it's way much easier also for the for the organizers or the orchestras. Um, to, to sell a story. I mean, it's the same as an artist, you should try. And it's one of the hardest things in, in, my, uh, in my opinion, to tell a story of yourself as an artist. So for what, uh, for what you're standing, uh, what, is, what is the thing, what is making you exceptional? So I think with this, especially with the quality of the arrangements, we made ourselves quite exceptional um, because, well, no one else around us was doing it until now. Or, I mean, there there is still a lot of, uh, there are still a lot of things existing, uh, the classical arrangements, but I think we're just extremely lucky that we have someone like Lukas Staffelbach in our, in our ensemble because he's just really bringing this to, to a new level because it's just so well thought from our instruments, but also from the original uh, music. And we always really try not to change the music, but to just give our thoughts to it, like to, to perform the same piece, but in our, let, let's say in our colors and, and in, in our opinions. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to to always have a theme in a concert that's for sure and sometimes it's also fun to just play whatever you want to play still it's quite hard always to find the the things which are equal to each other where to find the the same topic um, but i think it's always possible but of course if you have like a theme like of course, it's the French music from the 19th century. Then you can still, the, the people, the organizer can sell it as, yeah, you know, like a French evening or, of course, you can sell the big composers. What we are unfortunately not, not, having, um, not having yet, I think. Maybe it will be the same in 200 years that's, that everyone will, will think, ah, you know, there in... 2021, John Satas wrote a new percussion solo piece. I hope it's going to be like this, but but for now we're not having it because we're not having this this uh, history of of music and and pieces from those big composers. So for a lot of organizers, it's always way much easier also to sell the concert and the program if if they have the big composers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if we're uh, young students and we followed your advice, so we played with a lot of buddies at school and we checked out who we want to work with and we've select out, selected our group and then we've put together some programming, thinking about it, not just doing whatever. What should we do next if we want to try to sell a concert? What happens next? Well, I mean, I think the most important thing for everything in, in our job is really to have the network that people are, are knowing you. I mean, you're, you're not gonna play a concert if, you're, if you are not known to any people. I mean, this doesn't mean to be known uh, uh, of 1 million people and you have a fan base. We are working on it, but I'm not so sure if it's so easy as with a band or something. Um, but I think the network is, is very, very important. And then, of course, you need to have uh, like videos, you need to have a portfolio, what you want to send uh, to concert organizers um, to, uh, to approach them for a concert. Um, but still, the, the main thing, what I have the feeling most of the time is really that you are having the network because concert organizers, let's say I know it from some managements here in, in Europe or from some organizers, they're getting like 250 emails per, per day. So they're like, um, yeah, 
I mean, I know this guy. No, I don't know this. Mm. Okay, I will open this one. We're talking a lot about this uh, in our trio, actually. I mean, you can have such good videos or you can have such good uh, portfolio. If no, so no one is going to check it out, it's not helping at all. So, so I think what you always need to try also in studies already is to build up uh, your network, like to meet different people. Doesn't need to be always only percussionists. Of course, it's it's interesting. Um, but I mean, to play actually chamber music with a lot of different people and maybe also in other fields. Like I also did recently a program with, uh, with an actor. It was extremely interesting and uh, brought some new things to my repertoire than what I had before. So I think it's it's very important to build up your network. I said this already so many times now, but I think it's really important. Yeah. And for those young ones who don't know how that's done, because I remember hearing this also before, and I'm like, how do I how do I start to know people who are concert promoters well if you ever play a concert anywhere meaning you're part of a big ensemble or a small ensemble or whatever it is and you go somewhere and you're participating in a concert ask who is in charge so you can go say thank you go say thank you introduce yourself of course be a well-behaved uh, musician and do your best and help them promote the concert and, and try to keep in touch try to get their contact send them a thank you email and then maybe in a year you're gonna have a concert program to try to pitch to them and maybe they will open this email because you've been a nice person to get to know right you haven't been a parasite you haven't been ungrateful you've been all the things that a good human being would be so that's that's a piece of advice for young ones but so we've had people call in and say how the hell do you get such good videos as you have and I'll tie that question into what I already know because we chatted about this a little bit, but what is the role that competitions have had in your chamber music career? Because you've done some, right? The first one we did was actually the most important for us in Switzerland because it was, um, yeah, it's, it was one of the biggest ones because it's not existing anymore. It was the last competition. Um, so from there, actually, you get to know a lot of uh, concert organizers uh, and well they get to know you because they checked out the final so after this competition we played quite a lot or we started to play quite a lot in Switzerland um, then we did also a competition in Germany but the, the the very hard thing I honestly need to say if you're a percussion ensemble and you're taking part in a competition with other instruments. So like we had like piano trios, string quartets, and mostly there is not a percussionist in the jury. So we didn't have such a big luck in, in Germany there because just like, you know, some pianists are coming and they're like, yeah, you know, it's just not on the piano. So they just don't like it. They're not real instruments. Just give them no. some award. If, if, even, even if I think that if the composers would be still alive, they would like it maybe even more than the piano version. <laughs> I, I agree, especially if it was the Rite of Spring, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, do continue. <laughs> so I think what is... What is extremely important also, or what is, can be a good chance with competitions is if it's international competitions, which are bringing you abroad, because I think this, in my opinion, is the hardest thing to get, to get uh, successful. Um, because in your own country, you're, you can play maybe a lot of smaller concerts. The interesting thing is, the bigger concerts, you're, it's hard to get to play them because the people are thinking, you know, you were not successful abroad, so you're not successful. So I think that the very important thing is to get out of your own country. Um, so what we are also trying is uh, actually now in America competition again, 
what we should have been uh, in the final last year, but we just couldn't even record a video because we're not all living in Switzerland and Matthias couldn't come to Switzerland to record a video. So we'll try this one again um, this year in Washington. And this would just help us also to, to get one, well, not really a whole food, but part of it into the US, like we, we would be there. So I think competitions are interesting. We should not, we should for sure not only think about competitions, like I will practice now and I will do a competition and then I will be successful because if you're not having the network, what we said already before, you will get some concerts from a competition, but, but it will be over after one year. So it's, it's important to do, to do competitions also to get known, to have something for your CV, uh, of course, to work extremely, extremely hard on the repertoire, um, but still it needs to have a balance of competitions, networking and everything else. Awesome. So then do tell us, how do you get to have such awesome videos? Who are you like, do you know a king or a queen somewhere? Like who pays for that stuff? Because that stuff is Hollywood looking. Well, actually, we're super lucky because um, the guy which is doing those videos, uh, no art films, is a good friend of Matthias. So we paid quite some money on our own, but we were extremely lucky that it was not as expensive as for for a company because he's working actually a lot for for companies for the promotion and everything um so yeah it was honestly a lot of luck and the network because matthias uh, knew him <laughs> so um i mean this is what i don't know how it is in in america but in in zurich for example we have a very big school with all the arts like we have one one school which is having all the arts so you're getting to know other people from from film you're uh, getting to meet recording engineers so this is also something i would suggest to people to really try to approach those kind of people even if you're trying sometimes and it's not it's not working out um, suddenly you will find someone where you're like, this is awesome. The same with our recording engineer. We would never do something without him because it's just exactly the sound we want. It's, it's, uh, we know him extremely good. We trust him in the recording process. So yeah, I mean, this is the same as to find the right people to play in a, in a chamber group. It's just a lot of trying out with the different people and then to suddenly find someone which is really fitting perfectly. So we, we got our crew, we got our repertoire and the pitch and the network and the amazing portfolio. When do we get management? When do we stop worrying about everything and just someone does all the work for us? How do you get management? <laughs> well, I, I think you will never get rid of those kind of things because you still, even if you have a management, you need to do it on your own. Um, I honestly, I'm honestly also working on getting, on getting a management in Europe. Um, and I'm sorry, I, I think the half of the podcast will be full with networking. Um, I mean, it's true. Yeah. I mean, we were super lucky, um, and myself as a soloist in the U S because the agency we we're having in New York, uh, they said they normally are not taking any artists without hearing them live firstly but we just sent our videos our portfolio and everything and 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 they were like really interested um but what i realized now also trying to find an agency uh here in europe is really the network you need to um you need to be proposed by someone to a management um i was having a very interesting call with one management some time ago and he said um, you know it's it's really interesting what you're doing 
and I got the proposal from this person and this person. So I took the time to check out your portfolio or your recording. Um, so I think in the end, it's really almost everything about networking. You know, to add on to, to that just for a minute, these are the hard questions. Like people want to know, how do I get management? Or a lot of times people want to ask, how do I get um, deals with companies, you know, sponsorships or endorsements, that kind of thing. And it's a really, there's no like straight shot answer. Like if you do this, this, and this, then yeah, you get a deal. Um, a lot of times it's, it's what you say, it's networking. It's people, other people recommending you. It's not always the best thing to say like, here, look at me. I have this great stuff. Um, do you want to do a deal? You like, you want to be my manager? It just, it, it's, it's a hard question to answer. Yeah. And I think also it's most of the time as everything in all our life, you need to have a lot of luck. You need to be for whatever, for, for a management, for a label, for a concert. Sometimes you just need to be at the right moment in the right place. So, I mean, I cannot say do this and this and this uh, to get the management because I mean, I'm not having one in Europe. I'm working on it. But uh, what, what I always try to do is just to really do as much as I can um, and really not do the regular stuff. Like I could try to learn all the percussion concertos, um, which all the percussionists in Europe are playing. Like naming maybe Colin Curry or Martin Gubing or uh, Simone Rubino. I think the chance to get, um, to jump in for someone, learning all those percussion concertos is quite small. Of course, it's a good, it's a good, um, can be a good moment where you can jump in for someone and then um, from there get some attention. But what I always try, especially as a soloist, is to commission new pieces, work with composers on new concertos. Um, and from there, like maybe the same with Satas now, to use his network also um, to, to get to orchestras. Because as of course, as a young musician, you're like not known, you're a percussionist. It's not programmed every week. And the main audience is maybe also thinking, ah, okay, percussion, I'm not sure if I will go. So it's, of course, it's extremely um, expensive for an orchestra, knowing also that a lot of percussion concertos are just huge, like huge orchestra. So what I tried also to do when I'm commissioning something to really take a step back and think also from the other per perspective, like from an orchestra, okay, maybe I should try not to have a too big orchestra. I should try not to have too many instruments um, because it will make everything more expensive and harder to be programmed because you need to travel, you need to have all the instruments from everywhere. And I think this is also um, a very important point that you really need to take a step back and think from the other perspective because you're, um, doesn't matter if you're talking to an agency or to a company for an endorsement or to an orchestra or to an organizer. You always need to have also this kind of perspective, what they are thinking, what they are maybe checking if it's possible or not, or if it's interesting or not. Um, hey, Fabian, I'm Casey. How's it going? Hi, Casey. Nice hey, to meet sorry, you. Sorry, I'm like 50 minutes late to the show. I was thinking about what you all were saying just now, and I know we've talked about it a little before, like, how do I get management? How do I get a sponsorship? How do I get published? Like, there's a lot of a lot of those questions I, I want to ask you, like, in, in my mind, they sort of have kind of the same answer, like you well, you have to be visible, you have to already be a product that they want to sell. So if you approach I, uh, a manager and you say, hi, my name is Casey. I've recorded some things and no one's ever heard of me, but I play really well. I promise. Can you manage me and book me a lot of gigs? And, uh, you know, would you please consider that? They might take the time to f really look at you and figure that out. Or you could be the person that says like, hi, I'm Casey. I have uh, 10 gigs already booked. Here's the emails of everyone I'm communicating with. I can't manage all of this myself anymore. Can you take over for me? 
I mean, before they even look, if you're any good, they go like, oh, this person, like already that's a, it's already sold. I can already make a percentage of that. <laughs> it's already done. And then through doing that, they look at you and go like, oh yeah, okay, great. Whether this person's good or not, who cares? They're selling. You know, the, the people, people want to see them. I would think it's the same thing with a sponsorship. Like, okay, are they visible? Are they teaching a lot of students? Are they out there performing a lot? Are people asking for them? Are they a draw? Great, I want my product attached to them. Same thing with publishers. It's so much easier. Like, hey, I wrote this piece and I've got all these people already asking for it. Here's a record of how many I've sold myself. Would you like to take that over? Of course they go like, oh, well, yeah, I do. So I think to young people, it's like, don't expect someone else to get this going for you. You have to get it going yourself, whether it's sponsorship, publishing, or uh, gigs. You, you've got to, uh, you have to do that um, already. And then you have to not just pitch them, hey, I'm good, but hey, look, I'm like already selling. And you could be having a cut of that. Yeah, I think, I think just the issue sometimes is that you're getting kind of, um, to a point where you cannot really go further anymore on your own. So of course you need to try to do as much as you can on your own. And of course it's the, it's the easiest way to get, for example, a management. If you're saying, you know, I'm playing already 80 concerts a year uh, regularly for the last two years, but now I would like to have a management. Then of course they would be like, yeah, you know, I mean, we can just earn from 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 this artist and it's not that we need to build up his career um but it's just i think it's just uh, those points are so connected to each other that it's just extremely hard to cross the border um of playing extremely a lot in good places where you're also getting paid good which is of course also interesting for a management and to really go over this border um, where you will play with orchestras with bigger in bigger places. Um, if this is this is in my opinion, this is the hardest step to take. I mean, of course, a big competition can help. Um, or a super good CD label can help, even though let's not talk about CDs because I mean, in a way, it's stupid because no one is listening to CDs anymore. On the other hand, you're kind of taking a step up if you have a record out in a good label. So uh, I think the same for, for agencies. You can get a really good agency, um, which is building up your career, or you can, can get one when you're having already a lot of concerts, which is of course hard to do everything on your own to get to this level. I think it's so important that these kinds of conversations keep happening because at least before we move on from this, when I was younger, especially when I was a student, I thought, you know, the key to success is just to be super prepared and not miss any notes and, you know, be really musical and expressive. And there's so much more than to, to success than just being like a stellar player. Um, and even sometimes when we have setbacks or disappointments or you know losses things we don't we don't achieve we think oh I just have to come back and like I can't miss that one note that I missed or I have to play better and there's so many other things that some people probably aren't thinking about so thanks for sharing your insight on that the last thing of all of this pragmatic stuff that I wanted to chat about was finances this is something that uh, we don't talk about to students and in general we hesitate to give obviously financial advice don't take it from your percussion professor you need to go to other people for that but there are some logistics to as to how to run an ensemble and how to handle finances and this is something where I got some new information from Fabian when we talked about this episode so will you tell us a little bit about how you handle finances as a trio Anyway, you can have so many great ideas. If you're not finding the money, you cannot, you just cannot do it. I mean, I would love to commission a piece from Casey, but I don't know where to take the money from. You can't afford you know? it, man. It's too expensive. <laughs> yep. You see? So if I would have it, I would, I would contact you and commission a piece. Wait, no. you can, you can do this in kind donation. So only Fabian, if you continue to offend me about everything I do for like six months straight, I'll take that. That's Casey will write that. you a free piece. 
It's no problem. Just tell me how much that Rite of Spring is horrible every day and he will do it for free. Deal. Done. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I will, I, will think, I will think about this, okay? Um, no, I mean, what we, just, what we just started, especially when you're, when you're winning competitions, like we did the one in Switzerland, of course, you're also getting the prize money. And then, of course, you can go from there, you know, let's share everything. And let's just have a nice vacation, everyone on their own. Um, but this, that was not really how we wanted to do it. So we, for example, we created a, like an account for our ensemble in the bank. Um, and actually also this year, we also founded kind of an association or whatever you want to call it, like association or a company or, or an organization. Um, also to manage the things a little bit better because I don't know how it is in, in the US, but in Europe it's, well, especially in Switzerland, it's sometimes way much easier to get funds if you're an association or an organization. Um, so that was quite a big issue always. Like we want to do those great videos. It's super expensive. We need to find funds for it. We need to put our own money. Um, and what we also started sometimes when we really played a lot to just really cut a very small piece of our salaries and put it on our account. Um, so you will see after, I don't know, after 10 concerts, you will suddenly have some more money on your, on your account together and you will be able to just um, whatever, do create your website, uh, do new videos, um, and I think that the thing is, of course, you can do this also, taking it from your own money, but it will be a way much big, a bigger, bigger amount. What you can really feel if you're, I don't know, if you're putting 20 bucks after every concert, you're like, okay, yeah, I don't feel the difference so much. Of course you feel it still, but, uh, but not so much. And, and then suddenly you have, again, some funds, some financials, what you can just use for the new, to, for the new stuff. That's, that's well said. And I think that's very fair to make sure that everybody contributes equally, or that at least everyone is on the same page of how finances are, are handled. Perhaps not everyone in the ensemble is in the same position. Perhaps not everybody's going to have a full-time job at every point. Maybe some people are going to be able to invest more with time or services that they can do or stuff that they can handle before they can pitch in money. But in any case, uh, I mean, there's a, an expression in Serbian which sounds really clunky in English, but it's um, clean bill equals long love. So um, if you what? just... What? What is she saying? <laughs> what? You look like the type of person who would arrange the rite of spring. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's that mean, Ksenia? Uh, well, it means that if your finances with people are clear, you can have an everlasting love. So uh, making sure that that financial relationship is never tipped over to one side and that things are at least always out in the open um, makes for, you know, a good basis for a good professional or personal relationship. So there you go, a little bit of Serbian wisdom for you. Um, okay, Fabian, so before we wrap, just a couple of more questions. And uh, one is, what do you find to be the most challenging thing when running a chamber music group? You for sure need to start somewhere. I think this is the, this is the hardest thing. Like you need to get your first concert. You need to, what we talked about uh, before, like you need to make this this famous next step to the next level. Um, but what I also always feel, and we actually are talking about this quite a lot, is that you need to have such a good relation with each other. Because if, especially if you're performing a lot, you're like a family. I mean, you're traveling together, um, you're discussing together, you're having conflict together. Um, and we just also realized that you can just feel this on stage. If something is not completely right, um, we can feel it on stage and the, and the audience can feel it. So I think this is also 
quite a big thing what you always need to care about that you're not only working on the musical side of the of the chamber group but also on, on everything else um and of course what you said i mean money money is the worst thing to get uh, to get problems with each other so this is why we also kind of solved those problems with with having having the account together where we can put all um some money the same amount of money all the time and i just find it the worst thing to talk about of course it's the same with organizers because you're like yeah you know dude i want to i want to perform i don't want to talk about finances but on this on the same in the same time i'm always thinking like yeah you know but i'm just i'm not doing this just for fun i mean i'm doing this because i love it but i'm not doing this for fun i'm not uh, like in in my case now i'm not teaching so i'm living completely from performing and then it's then it's of course you need to talk about this also the hardest thing is always to improve i mean you always need to improve um i think you can feel this the best when you're studying like when you're um you're if you're almost done with your studies you're like my god those people which are in the first year what i'm doing in my life yep yep and for those of you who didn't hear anything that are just listening he did the hand gesture of like uh oh <laughs> yeah no so so i think you need to try to try to improve um all the time i mean there are of course sometimes uh moments where you're like okay i'm not improving at all even though if you do maybe um but there are just certain points where you just cannot feel it um, but really to just always continue to work, of course, on your playing, but also on programming, uh, what we discussed already before. And then, of course, the, the big thing is what we already said, the, to find a management is an extremely hard thing to do. Um, but I mean, what Casey said, you, you need to, to sell a product. And actually, sometimes I'm really jealous for Americans because you know, as a Swiss person being this kind of, yeah, you know, we're doing this and this, but yeah, you know, not like Americans sometimes, which are just like going out with everything and they're like super, super uh, excited about everything. This is something, this is something what we, what we sometimes really should, should learn from you. Um, I know. I mean, you need you need to be exceptional to someone uh, if you want to get concerts um, or or management or whatever. Uh, and this is a very hard step to do, in my opinion. All right. Well, Fabian, thank you so much for being with us today. It was a pleasure to learn from you. Thank you very much for the invitation. It was nice to talk to you. Awesome. Uh, before you head off and you say hi and thanks also to your fellows from Trio Colores, tell us what is the next thing up for you? What you got going on and what can we look forward to? Um, I mean, talking in a longer, longer time frame, um, I guess the, one of the big things are coming up next year for, for me as a soloist, like I'm having a new concerto with choir uh, with a young Polish composer with uh, Arkadiusz Kontny. Then I'm, what I told you already, um, I'm really, really excited to premiere a new double concerto for two percussionists and and orchestra by John Psatas. And I'm sure it will be as always, I'm working so much with John and I'm always thinking why I'm doing this all the time because I could commission so many other composers which are writing a little bit less difficult. <laughs> um, and then there is a really exciting percussion concerto coming up next year in October um, with Arash Safayan. I think actually he was in billboards, talking about billboards in the very beginning. Uh, he was in billboards with this is not Beethoven, uh, like a Beethoven variations for piano and uh, chamber orchestra. So he will write a new percussion concerto, which will be um, premiered next year in October in Switzerland. 
And yeah, with the trio, we're working really hard on recording this French program and to bring it out even on a CD. Casey, I will write you and, and uh, send you a CD because I, I saw on the corner that you wrote you're still listening to CDs. I'm still listening. I got the only one over there. <laughs> Yep. And maybe I can also I can also record for you bad touch ones and send you a CD of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You betcha. It's such a good audio only piece, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so so with the trio, we're uh, we're having also a new a new arrangement. What we're playing the first time now in December with uh, with organ. Uh, it's a Telemann triple concerto which is originally for viola, um, oboe and flute. And uh, we arranged it for the three of us and for organ. And we will also play it next year in October um, with, uh, with an orchestra the first time. So there are always coming new videos. I will produce my, well, I'm actually on the move to produce my second album, which will be a portrait CD uh, of music by John Satas, what I commissioned. Follow us, follow me on my channels on Spotify, YouTube, all the social media channels, as well as the as the trio. There is coming a new video very soon, I think in a few weeks, where we did kind of a trailer for this French program. And you can check out some Ravel, some Saint-Saëns, and some Mio from, from our member, Luca. And yeah, just... Don't miss anything on our channels and stay tuned. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks everybody. Go find Fabian, find Trio Colores, subscribe, like them, all of that good stuff. Do the same with our podcast if you have not done it yet. Also check us out on Patreon because you can get nice perks and get to hang out with us if you do happen to support us. Uh, you can also go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It won't kill you. It'll do great for us if you if you appreciate what we're doing here. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the upcoming episode. We're coming close to 300. This is going to be big, everyone. So thank you once more, Fabian, Carly, Ben, Casey. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, y'all. See you.